When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast, fan of all things entertainment, founder of Lola Media. Paul, excited to be here, as always. Welcome back, fans. It's a special episode this week. We are both recording from the Hamptons, although not the same part of the Hamptons. And I personally have to thank a brilliant person who is a fan of the show, someone that we hope to have as a guest on an episode very soon, who I'm not going to name names because I didn't ask their permission, but they are an Ivy League business school professor, as well as a network executive who's very focused on streaming. If you're listening, you know who you are. And thank you very much for the hospitality. Mesh, what brings you to the Hamptons? Well, first of all, that's I'm excited about this guest. Brings me to the Hamptons. I'm uh, I go once a year. My best friend and his family come out here, and so I'm just visiting him. He's got another kid. Mesh, do you have like 50 best friends? I am one of those. Not to put guys. you on the spot. Here. <laughs> I am one of those guys who has like a solid group of best friends, but this guy's like you know he's like a brother. Okay. I have a lot of brothers too, that are not related to me, but we're like brothers. You know what I'm saying? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> but this guy, yes, he is um, He is one of the greatest friends, and I'm just visiting here. And uh, it's fun, man. It's nice enjoying the summer, Paul, but as always, here to record. Yeah, I mean, brutal heat wave in New York. Jeez. It's terrible, man. Glad to get out of the city. For I mean, it's awful. I know. Speaking of things you can do to beat the heat, you can see Jordan Peele's Nope in theaters this weekend. It's his third film, third with Universal, biggest spend. I think he has 68 billion dollar budget and that's net of an eight million dollar tax credit that he got from the state of california as you know i mean he was breakout star winning an oscar for get out and then us both wildly successful profitable films that were critically loved and so nope aims to follow on that trend and it's sort of like lovecraft country a bit because it's kind of like Cowboys meets aliens. It's sort of science fiction and Western. And also, I'm excited for it. There's tropes of obviously the treatment of race in Jordan Peele's films is also a sense of like dark comedy. Yeah. What do you think? You're excited for it? I'm not a scary movie guy, but I didn't see us and I loved Get Out, but I'm actually going to watch Nope. I'm very excited about it. I'm a big Jordan Peele fan. I just listened to him on the Smartless podcast. He is so funny. He's so brilliant. 
like the next M Night, the next Stephen King, and hopefully he just he just sticks it, just keeps making great movies. I'm excited for him. Yeah, so I'm gonna just digress with the personal Jordan Peele story. I am also a huge fan, have been forever. Mad TV, Key and Peele. Key and Peele was what I really did a deep dive because everything he did was just so funny to me in that show. And when I had moved from New York to LA to work for Marvel or to continue working for Marvel, but more focused on Marvel Studios, this is actually very topical this week because this week's topic is San Diego Comic-Con. And 2013, there were rumors about Jordan Peele being in Ant-Man. And so Ah. when that deal hit our sort of internal Marvel Studios tracker, I sort of ran into my boss's office and I begged him to be able to work on that deal. I was like, Jordan Peele is the funniest person in Hollywood, I really want to work on that deal. And my boss said yes, fortunately. And sort of like, he was, I think, always kind of a long shot because he was doing so many other things. His schedule was so packed with Key and Peele and everything else he was working on that it wasn't really necessarily about a creative difference or a financial difference. It was really more like, did he have the time to be an Ant-Man? And so I remember I went to 2013 Comic-Con with the intent of like winning him over Uh and trying to sort of... I mean, it's not my role at all. It's not any lawyer's role really to win an actor over. I mean, it's completely creative, but I just wanted to meet him and tell him how much of a fan I was. And we ended up hitting it off. And I told him that I had done improv in New York and that I was thinking about continuing improv in LA. And he was super supportive of that. Both he and Keegan-Michael Key were both like, hey, keep doing improv, man, you got to. And you know, they were asking how my move from New York to LA went and they had done similar things. And then I actually hung out with Jordan Peele later on at Comic-Con, sort of That's sick. sort of one-on-one. Yeah, he was super cool. He was a little busy. He, I mean, he made time for me, but like, you know, he's a celebrity, so he couldn't devote like a whole day to hanging out with me. But he did make some time. We hung out and his assistant or manager, someone came by with a mask because, um, you know, I didn't realize like what it's like to be a celebrity. I, you know, I thought it'd be super cool. But <laughs> in order for him to actually go to Comic-Con and walk around any of the panels or Hall H or any of that stuff, the convention center, he needed to be in disguise because if he went <laughs> as his normal self, he would have been mobbed. Oh, man. And I just like, that's one of the moments where it kicked in. I was like, oh, you want to go check out Comic-Con? And he's like, maybe, but I need to put on like, this whole elaborate costume in order to do that. And then that's awesome. Uh, he also had to sort of end things quickly because he was working on this script, which ended up being Get Out. So Jordan Peele, super down to earth. He was actually, I think, engaged to Chelsea Peretti at the time. So he, yeah. we were talking about like relationships and how he had to sort of like get more mature and, and get more serious because his fiance was like wanted him to be more mature and serious. But super cool, down to earth, smart guy. You know, it's funny because like, you think people that are that funny are always on, like the people said that about Robin yeah, Williams, yeah, but yeah. I thought he was very like composed, intelligent, calm, but he just happens to be like absolutely hilarious when the lights turn on. And then also yeah. a brilliant horror director. So good for him. I'm excited for Nope and certainly a way to beat the heat this weekend. Absolutely, man. I mean, I was a big Key and Peele fan and I was listening to him on the Smartless podcast and he was saying that they're asking how he met Chelsea Peretti and he's like, I slid into her DMs like on Instagram and that was it. <laughs> and I thought that I was like, oh cool, that's actually pretty funny. He just like reached out to her on Instagram and thought she was funny and hilarious and uh, that's it, that's how they met. I guess that's a lesson to everyone out there. Gotta keep trying. Keep trying. Find those DMs. <laughs> Let's take a break. Let's take a break.
All right, Paul. So the fact that you've actually been to Comic-Con is pretty cool. Like I've just been watching from afar. Never thought in my mind that I would ever go. Like I'm just not one of those. Like I like reading about it later. But the fact that you've actually been is pretty cool. I mean, it is one of the biggest like entertainment events of the year. So Yeah. So Comic-Con is, geez, it's like for pop culture and sort of like pop culture nerds, it is kind of the Super Bowl of events, you know, for lack of a better term. It's really like the pinnacle of the creative kickoff for the following year. And so I've had the good fortune or pleasure of being there. I've gone to San Diego Comic-Con four times and I've been to New York Comic-Con twice. Wow. New York Comic-Con is not necessarily the same kind of party because it's in the fall, it's in New York in the Javits Center and it's like, the way San Diego Comic-Con sort of takes over all of downtown San Diego and the gas lamp. So it's not just the convention center. It's like every bar, every restaurant, every hotel. It's just a massive event with tons of cool people. Even if you don't have a badge to access the convention, you can still have a great time just hanging out at all the different like takeovers and parties and hotels outside the convention itself. Because like I said, it really is a complete takeover of all of San Diego for that weekend. And yes, absolutely. It is. It was a date that we always had circled on our calendar when I was at Marvel, because that's when you have the opportunity of a captive audience, the most intense fans, the most internet scrutiny for what your upcoming slate is going to be. So everyone's interested in the announcements you're going to make and the future projects that you're going to release. And basically you want to win that weekend, right? As a studio, you want to leave Comic-Con with the coolest Hall H panel, You want everyone talking about what you're going to release. And so there's a huge buzz. There's a huge amount of investment and preparation that goes into Comic-Con and the presentations that go on there. Very fortunate that San Diego Comic-Con is back in person. They haven't done one in person since 2019, obviously, because of the pandemic. And I don't know where the Lola Media passes. They probably (laughs) got lost in the mail. But I think that's probably on... No, th- you. dude, that's on me for next year. We're going to go to Comic-Con. And the question I have for you before I list off some of the cool things that were announced, Paul, we have to dress up if we go to Comic-Con. So what are you dressing up as? So, you know, I have my go-to, which is Punisher, <laughs> but I don't, I think, you know, wearing all black with the, the skull. Sort of like puffed up muscle outfit <laughs> in San Diego in July is probably not going to work out. Maybe, you know, with X-Men 97. Oh, hell yeah. Maybe Magneto. Oh, man. I think we would have to go as like from the same universe. So you could be Magneto. And you know, I was going to say Professor X, but maybe I'll go as Beast. Like get all blued up and, um, you know. You could you could also do Bishop. Uh, I could do Bishop. I like Bishop. Yeah. Yeah. It gets me to so where I get to wear like tight muscle t-shirt and like hold around a, a fake gun. Like that would be kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know what the fake gun policy is anymore, but... Actually, Magneto's costume would be pretty hot, too. So maybe... <laughs> no, that's why you got to go as Beast, because you can just wear, you know, like swim trunks and then walk around in all blue and you're going to be cool. That's true. Okay, fine. Beast. But Beast is a... I mean, he's a tough look if you want to pull off the fur. I know. I mean, and I, I have zero body hair. So, and like, I was actually out last night and someone asked if I wax my chest. I'm like, no, I'm just... I've got no body hair. So I would have to, like, put on fake hair. But maybe you could pull it off better than I could. Yeah, or morph do more <laughs> anyway there's a lot of cool a lot of cool things why don't the 
Why don't people hit us up on Instagram, slide into our DMs, tell us what costumes you'd want Mesh and I to wear for next year's Comic-Con. Maybe <laughs> we can uh, have a little fun with it. There's some cool stuff that was announced, though. Oh, my God. There's so much stuff that was announced. Do you want to talk about some of the things that you're most excited about? Yeah. So, like, I went through the list of things, and I was on TikTok, um, you know, because they like to leak the videos and stuff. And it is one of those things, like, they get to see stuff that we don't get to see like the leak trailers and all that type of stuff. But well, that's because they're waiting in line, like literally all day. And they have, I know they spent <laughs> you know thousands of dollars on these passes. There's gotta be some value to it. They right? gotta give them something. But I think one of the coolest things I saw was they announced the X-Men 97, which is going to be released on Disney plus. They announced the roster. And so I saw the video of the crowd and they kept like adding one image and then the next image and the, the crowd was going crazy. And it's obviously it's, it's our favorite cast of characters. You've got, you obviously got Cyclops, Wolverine, Jubilee, you got Beast, you've got Gambit, Rogue, and of course, Jean Grey, aka potentially coming as Phoenix. And the crowd was going nuts. And look, man, we've talked about this in, in past episodes. I loved that show. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that show. I'm so glad they're bringing it back. But 90s seems to be a theme in Comic-Con this year. They're talking about a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Power Ranger crossover they're going to do. Obviously, X-Men. There was talk about Beavis and Butthead do the universe coming up with another version of that. A lot of cool stuff. Dungeons and Dragons. Obviously, the big movie that's coming out by Paramount with Hugh Grant, Michelle Rodriguez, Chris Pine. I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons guy, but my brother-in-law is and he's super excited about it so i'm sure people are having a blast and of course like other stuff like well you you could see i mean there's definitely like uh let's go back to the well here on this like mining intellectual property that already has a fan base and this is a ton of you know what i do rights acquisitions things you know if you can find something that's like an evergreen property that you know has a fan base like lord of the rings game yes. of thrones marvel transformers like these things are basically like worth their weight in gold or Bitcoin or whatever, you know, whatever the most expensive thing is, most valuable thing, because the odds that it, they don't pan out because there's already built-in fan base is very slim. And so, sure, you may not necessarily have the $2 billion hit, but the floor is pretty high. And that's why um, things like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones are just like studios are going to keep going back to that well. I'm actually very excited about Game of Thrones, House of Dragon. I Me too. Part of that is because... Jessica and I were sort of like behind the curve on Game of Thrones and we didn't actually watch it until the pandemic. And we, oh, binged, sick. we binged, what, like 80 episodes <laughs> in like two weeks. So we were just like, I mean, that was insane. And we were so addicted to the series after that. Because imagine not having to wait, right? Like you go cliffhanger to new episode, cliffhanger to new episode, like every day for two weeks. It was amazing. Well, the question I have for you, on Game of Thrones is that what was you and Jess's reaction to the last season slash last episode? Honestly, I loved every minute of it. I know there's <laughs> a lot of people who criticize and they said, well, it didn't stay true to the books or it seemed like haphazard or it dragged on. I mean, I once the White Walkers got their own dragon, I <laughs> there was like nothing they could do wrong in my book. I mean, maybe you could say like, Daenerys didn't need to sort of like lay siege on the town, <laughs> yeah. right? But like beyond that, I thought it was great. And I know a lot of people had problems with it, but I just, I thought it was just so epic. But he did win me over in The Crown and I haven't seen Doctor Who, so maybe he'll be amazing in this. I'm very excited about House of Dragon and, you know, Lord of Rings, Rings of Power. I'm excited about that. On Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Prime. I mean, it. I, I they released a three-minute trailer at Comic-Con. Seemed like, 
you know, kind of more of the same, but who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think we've got a lot of good stuff coming our way content-wise. Can you believe they're doing an I Am Groot Disney Plus series? I mean... A mini uh, animated series and and a What If Season 2 announcement. But the I Am Groot thing, I mean, just what Marvel is able to do now with like just mini shows, animated series, live action series. It kind of seems like they're trolling us a little bit, though, with the I Am Groot series. <laughs> I mean, what is he going to just say? I Am Groot over and over and over. I mean, it looked, honestly... I bet there'll be subtitles. Just with the shorts, it did look cool. I mean, he's super cute and he's growing the leaves and everything. And they had like those sort of like minion-esque little creatures. So quasi excited about it, but I'm more just like impressed that they're able to churn it out, make man. a series based on Groot. Yeah, we'll see. But we'll- yeah, for sure. I mean, the behind the scenes side of Comic-Con, I think I discussed it. There's actually a ton of pressure and in order to like get things signed and get all the creative finished before Comic-Con kicks off because, like I said, all eyes are focused on the Comic-Con panels. And so I remember many a weekend going into Comic-Con and actually in Comic-Con itself when I was at Marvel, working around the clock, trying to get deals signed, negotiating, because as we discussed on episode eight of Better Call Paul, you definitely want to have everything papered and inked before you make any public announcements. Um, In episode eight, we discussed how Coachella they were scrambling to find a replacement to Kanye. Right. And they announced the weekend before they had the deal signed. And then the weekend asked for right. uh, a match of Kanye's payday. Rightfully so. You know, generally speaking, to the extent you can plan it, you want to make sure all announcements are only made after everything's been papered. And furthermore, like the creative, even if you're just a few weeks into production on a movie, there's a lot of pressure to get at least a minute or two worth of footage to to cut into a, a mini trailer for Comic-Con. So, I mean, it is a lot of work, but it's a celebration of the fans. And if you do it well, then you have everyone talking. As we're recording this, it's not over. So I'm sure we'll see more and more announcements. But let's take a break and we'll get back and talk about Kate Bush, Stranger Things, and of course, Netflix and their earnings. So, Paul, Stranger Things season four, I watched it. It was absolutely incredible. I loved every minute of it. But other people benefited from this besides just Stranger Things. I mean, Kate Bush and her Running Up the Hill song. I mean, dude, this thing's become, one could say, an overnight success, but it's kind of like a resurgence of this song and her just crossed 100 million YouTube views. Good for her, man. I mean, there's reports here about she's made 2.3 million in streaming royalties, which I thought seems a little high. I think more than that. It might also be from like sync fees. There must have been some type of sync deal for that because it was not only it was featured in a couple episodes and like part of the main climax of the show. So music supervisor of that show is incredible. And it's cool to see like just people enjoying that song and good for Kate Bush. We should. And we've talked about this in the past. We should do a, a deep dive into music and music licensing and royalties and how they're all calculated. But we're not going to do that today because you have a concert to go to and um, I'm in the Hamptons. So rather than spend 10 hours explaining (laughs) the complexities of music licensing to you, what I would say is Kate Bush, not an overnight success because the song came out 40 years ago and was actually a chart topper in the 80s, but a resurgence on the strength of Stranger Things. As you said, the song's got new life going viral, 100 million views on YouTube. So she's getting into that Bad Bunny territory. (laughs) Uh, And- The thing about it, so it could have easily 
There's a 17,000% increase in the streams of the song from pre the release of Stranger Things to post. So that I think tells you that Stranger Things had a big impact on the lift. And there were 31 million streams in the second week of June alone. And here's the reason why that could be incredibly lucrative for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to figure the streaming services generally pay between one penny and a third of a penny per stream, roughly. I mean, that's kind of the rough average. Right. And beyond that, she owns the copyright in her masters, which most artists do not. Most artists, right. the masters are actually owned by their label and the compositions are owned by their publisher. Now, as the writer, you have a significant percentage of the interest in the composition, but she is through an indie label, and so she, I believe, owns everything. Incredible. Now, for this song, Running Up That Hill, Warner Music is doing the distribution, so they're going to take their cut as distributor. But I think she's making close to 80 cents on the streaming dollar oh, for this, wow. or 80% of the music revenue, which is why it's been a phenomenal hit for her. Amazing. And the other thing is I often do these music licensing deals for my clients who are either platforms or producers licensing songs in or artists who are licensing songs out, or composers are getting hired to write songs, or music supervisors are getting hired to come up with the sort of like licensed music schedule for a particular show or TV show or movie. And yeah, I mean, ultimately it's always a negotiation. There are sync fees, but they're generally not as high as you would think. I mean, okay. it depends. Obviously it's a very famous song uh, and you're using it in like a trailer or something, the fees can be really high, but if you're Netflix and you're Stranger Things, I mean, I wasn't involved in this negotiation, but if you're a prominent studio and you're making a tentpole work in Stranger Things season four was, you know, part of the sales pitch or part of the business proposal is like, you know, you have a hit song, obviously, and we have a hit series, but if we put them together, it's going to give you a lot of exposure, right? Because your song came out in 1985. Most of the Stranger Things fan base was not born in 1985, right? Right, so right, right. You're getting exposed to a brand new audience. So this is like, if you're a platform, this would be, you know, beyond the wildest dreams of what anyone would sort of say in terms of like the amount of lift you would give to a songwriter or an artist. But certainly part of the pitch is, and if you represent a platform and let's say your client has a very savvy music department or people that are, sort of like mining unknown talent or up and coming talent that hasn't yet made it. It's a great way to get music in film and TV. And sometimes you take a little bit less of a license fee or a very low license fee in order to get the exposure and to get your work out there, like in a video game that might be played by millions of people. Music licensing is a very complicated thing. Happy to discuss it at another time, but great for Kate Bush and great for Netflix. Speaking of Netflix. Speaking of Netflix. It's been a good two weeks for Netflix. I know Yeah. since November, their stock has been sliding as the entire industry has, has been sliding, but tech has been hit harder than most and Netflix harder than even most of tech. Their stock has bounced 25% or almost 25% in the past two weeks. And that's due to, I think, a couple factors. Uh, Mesh, were you... Um, on the last earnings call, did, did, can you summarize that for the audience? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I'm, I, I, I reviewed it. I was obviously watching it because I think everyone was watching this because they wanted to see whether is net like Netflix has just been losing subscribers, and obviously Wall Street has been expecting that. And I think in this case, what they're saying is that okay, they had forecasted that they were going to lose two million subscribers, and in the three month period in this last quarter, they lost a million subscribers. So they basically like overestimated and I think they did that 
probably just to like impress the street. And so the stock bounced essentially because subscriber growth was less than what was announced. And everyone was like, okay, great. They lost a million, but it's really more about what they're forecasting. And the stock really bounced on the fact that they're saying in the quarter following the next quarter that they want to add 1 million subscribers. And so people are thinking like, okay, is this the bottom potentially of Netflix's like subscriber loss? Obviously they're going to say that, Hey, look, we're going to add subscribers. And a lot of that has to do with converting those password sharers into paying customers. In 2022 alone, they're spending $17 billion on content. So obviously a lot of the reasons why people would be a new subscriber is for the new content that's coming up. And so we'll see. I mean, obviously the stock's still down like 70% from all time highs, but to your point, yes, it's bounced relatively nicely. And so we'll see, you know, I think the biggest issue that people have is that there is increased competition, as we've talked about numerous times on the show, from other streamers that are cheaper. And so they're just competing for eyes here. But we'll see, man, like, you know, Netflix continues to get it done. And so I think that, you know, I'm excited for them. Like, you know, I would like to see them bounce back a bit. And I'm still a subscriber. I've never in my mind thought of a, I'm not one of those who just like cuts my subscription if I'm not being entertained. Like I, I just keep it going. Yeah. And Netflix, I mean, they're consistently putting out great content. I mean, Gray Man came out this week. That's Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling, Russo Brothers movie. Oh yeah. I want to see that. Which is supposedly an amazing action film. They also announced they're going to have an ad-free tier starting next year, which is important. It's just a little bit of a 180 from Reed Hastings because he was always sure. anti-ads. But now, you know, you can see maybe he's not a rigid CEO. Maybe he's just an adaptable guy and he realizes that ad-free or ad-tier is a way to grow their subscriber base. And so they've announced they're going to partner with Microsoft and sort of building out that ad tech and that'll pay dividends in the future. And it's supposed to not detract from the experience that full, like traditional Netflix, no ad paying subscribers are going to get. So that's incremental. And then, as you said, they estimate that there's 100 million households that watch Netflix that don't pay for it, right? Right. Through password sharing. Right. And they're going to build in a way to allow people to do some of that within reason. But if you share beyond three households, then you're going to have to pay an additional fee. That's all TBD. But this is something that I encounter a lot because I represent a lot of sports teams and sports franchises and RSNs. And geolocation and targeting and tracking whether someone's in their subscription location, whether someone's traveling, those are things that, you know, the technology already exists for all of that because sports rights are divided so precisely across the country. They're growing by doing things that are kind of already established technologies with advertising and geolocating. So those are things that should be relatively easily folded into their infrastructure, which is good. And they have a war chest from having such a successful past couple of years that hopefully this was just a momentary blip and they're ready to bounce back. Yeah, man, we'll see. I mean, look, I think just in general for media streaming services, people have been eyeing this. Obviously, media's had a tough time in the market, but really everyone's had a tough time in this market. So we'll see how I think next quarter is going to be the big quarter. Like that is going to be the one that everyone's watching for. Like, do they increase those subscribers? And so we'll have to just watch and see what happens next quarter. Okay, cool. Yeah, my eyes are peeled. (laughs) Well, Paul, I hope you enjoy the Hamptons. I'm running off to a reggae concert right now, but I know that this weekend I'm either watching Nope or I'm watching The Minions with uh, my friend's kids. So it's one or the other, but I will catch Nope. I'm excited to jam out with you about it. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And we'll be back next week. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler, Gonzalez, 
with assistant producer Justin Sanchez. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care.